Welcome to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws, the podcast for all things poetry. I'm your host, Catherine Owen, this season reporting to you from Iceland. Uh, the Icelandic rain falling it's been falling all day long and I decided I was going to go to the spa because what better idea than to go swimming and soaking in a hot springs and freezing your butt off in a lake and hitting the sweaty sauna than during a rainstorm Um, I was gifted with the money for the admission, which is $50, so not cheap, like pretty much everything here. I haven't yet found anything that is cheap, except for, of course, walking in nature, which is free. Um, Yeah, so I went there, and I expected to see fewer people. There were still quite a lot of people, because tour buses are making the rounds, even in October, in the pouring rain and slight chill. Um, but it wasn't too bad, and I was there early enough that there wasn't hordes and masses, and I was able to hang out there for a couple of hours and uh, do my cycle of soaking and sweating, and yeah, it was really invigorating, and I did notice that my skin was glowing at the end, so that was delightful. And then, yeah, since uh, the last podcast, we had a fire pit with everybody here, and then we had a little crepe dinner with everybody here and an extra guest or two who are writers and translators and co-creators of this space. Uh, So that was really interesting, listening to a chat about... Uh, running a theater and the situation with the uh, retirement homes here and uh, just different types of jobs you can have here and people deciding to move from Sweden or Germany to Iceland, things like that. Nice little roundtable discussion of where we come from and why we chose to be here and what we're creating. And then this morning before I went to the spa, I um, worked on a poem. I'm working on a piece about extinct species of weather, starting with snowball earth at the beginning of time. So yeah, and it was intermingling with uh, some personal material and it ended up being quite emotional, so it was good to get out and about. I also went for a walk earlier today until it got a little bit too mushy in the puddles. I've been watching the flies and the moss and all the little insects and the birds trying to get out of the downpour. So I'm going to finish up this chat with you about the uh, what Oscar Martins is calling Fiddlehead Gate. <laughs> I've still not found the actual um, the review under question, which is a real shame. You know, and I just feel at the end of all this, 
course, I don't know if this is the end of all this, but um, I think the failure is that there's been censorship. And when there's censorship, you don't see the text under question, and then you can't possibly articulate at any kind of length or depth your real perception of it and your reaction to it. And so that is the loss of an opportunity for teaching, for engaging, for having an opinion that has validity. So uh, Oscar Martins has a blog, and he sent this uh, to me, his own reactions and a couple of other people's reactions to the situation. And uh, he says, Ah, Sue, what the hell is happening over the fiddlehead? I don't know where to start. First, he says, you won't even name the reviewer. Perhaps you don't want to contribute to the notoriety of this particular thought criminal by naming her, but this tactic seems more suitable for minor league school shooters. Susan C. Haley is the reviewer. Was that so hard? And then he says, internet bun fights are breaking out over the content of the review, which thanks to you, we can't read. And then pulling an entire print run because of one review, is that a good use of funds for a heavily subsidized publication? And then he says, as of 2016, which was the last time I noticed that Susan Haley's website was updated, she had published 22 reviews with a fiddlehead, so maybe the total is somewhere closer to 30 or 40. How does your trusted, intelligent, insightful reviewer transform into insensitive, ignorant, and incompetent overnight? Five, using specific examples, this was the dearth in the apology as the other poet I mentioned noted, is that she apologizes and she um, calls the reviewer racist and uh, colonizing and so forth, but there's no actual evidence from the review apart from what I mentioned that others who had read the review had noted where outdated examples of, say, Kipling were used, um, and perhaps civilization was used incorrectly, and so forth. But he says, how can you explain how the fiddlehead has contributed to colonial destructiveness, or is that just another meaningless, woke buzzword you threw in despite of your apology? And then he says, it looks like you did the brave thing and threw a couple of expendables under the bus. Considering the horrific nature of this colonial destructiveness, can we expect your resignation within the week? Then he had other people react to this. Uh, One said, hi, Sue, that was quite a lively spell of virtue signaling you did over that one review. And then he says, since you're the editor, shouldn't you resign as well? Uh, Do you really run the magazine so that at some point you don't read every single word that gets published? I expect more from the editor of a magazine, which is publishing creative literary work. And what you're doing, firing of your editor and the reprinting of the journal is the easiest thing in the world. The hard thing, the noble thing is to stand up for thoughts which are not illegal, but which don't happen to mix well with this bitter flavor of woke. You're embarrassing yourself. Then another writer says, I don't get it. You published a review you didn't read and then you fired the person who had read it and clearly didn't think it was racist or ignorant. So we can't read the review, so we have no way of knowing whether these comments are justified. Um, She says, I am sensing a lack of process. We don't know what provoked your apology. We know someone was fired and someone was blacklisted. And then she sums up, you have ultimate responsibility for what is published in the fiddlehead. 
you implied the reviewer is racist, incompetent, and ignorant. So uh, that is polarizing, and that's not leading to healing, and that seems like incredibly problematic without evidence. And then one other person says, I see you have fired Sabine Campbell, who's been a member of the editorial staff of the Fiddlehead since 1985 because of a review you published. So shouldn't you resign as well? And then we come to the review itself. You published the review and didn't name the author, but now we know this reviewer is a well-respected writer who's now been blacklisted by you and insulted as being insensitive, ignorant, and racist. What is the evidence behind these very serious allegations? Did you discuss your concerns with the review editor and the editor of the review? Were they given the opportunity to answer these allegations? And we don't know what is wrong with the review specifically other than hearsay and bits and pieces from it. We only have your word for it and they don't want to trust their judgment. And uh, then the poet I was quoting from earlier uh, says, Sue Sinclair really needs to take responsibility and take a hike. Uh, then he says, it sounds like Haley evaluated Riddle's book through an old-fashioned Eurocentric lens. Invoking Kipling and Larkin isn't necessarily racist, but yeesh, it's tone deaf for sure. I agree. Uh, it's not in and of itself saying she's racist, of course, but uh, yeah, she could definitely have used more apropos examples and citations. Then he continues, it's very possible that lurking inside her Kipling-era mindset, there are some white supremacist assumptions and tropes, but we don't know how hard she lent on these. Wouldn't it be interesting and edifying to perform this autopsy of this review in public? Canceling is lame and lazy. Nobody gets to reflect or cogitate. And... Then there's the whole concern he continues about the value of the past vis-a-vis the value of the present with its allegedly new ideas, values, and beliefs. We're living in an age where the past is being triumphantly tossed aside. The past is like, ooh, gross and offensive. This made me laugh, but it's so true. Uh, but is ahistoricism the same as anti-colonialism? Like, we cannot talk about what's going on in the present without reference to the past, and all this needs to be contextualized and discussed. Then he carries on, should a poet's identity dictate the limits of their poetry's reception and evaluation? Like, can we only discuss Riddle's book within the context of other indigenous poets or only female poets under the age of 30? This seems extremely limiting or even ghettoizing. And as all so-called aesthetic criticism inherently white supremacist, is imagism fascistic, is in Jaman an example of the subjugation of the line's autonomy, is paper too white? <laughs> he says, I'm only half kidding. There are pedagogies and schools of poetics out there that want to decolonize everything, wipe the slate clean, just toss everything out. But isn't Riddle writing in English at least some of the time? If so, is she not, perhaps unwittingly, like the rest of us, to some degree, in conversation or competition with all the English language poets of the past? Okay, the review is culturally tone deaf and should never have been published. But seeing as how it was published, let's talk about the review with evidence from the review, have another review written that brings up other perspectives and positions, and not just cancel and shut down and censor because we're not learning that way. 
and those people who are calling people like Oscar Martin uh, cockroaches for publishing his perspective and opinion are canceling him and shutting him down. And then if there's no discourse, there's no opportunity to exercise one's perspective and position. And this is a serious issue. So you can disagree with the content of the review, but you need to see the review in order to really have a discussion about it and to articulate your critical uh, perspective. And if you can't do that, then you're being silenced. And this is not good for democracy. It's not good for art. All right, enough said about all that because um, I'd like to move on. Can we move on? All right, I'm going to finish by reading. I'm reading this wonderful book called The Windows of Brimness, An American in Iceland by Bill Holm. And uh, he's giving me a real fascinating perspective of somebody who straddles these two cultures. And he met this poet in the countryside. His name is... Arni Christiansen, and he is a farmer, and uh, he's a carver, and he's now in a retirement home if he's still alive. Not so sure about that, but at any rate, he's written poetry all his life. And as I've noted uh, from what I've read about the Icelandic culture, there's a high level of literacy and poetry and also poetry being written by those who are not necessarily university educated. And uh, that's, that's as it should be. It should be for everyone, uh, which doesn't mean... Mm, which does not mean populist in the most lowest common denominator way. So he excerpts some quatrains, which he calls stokurs, stokurs, epigrammatic quatrains from this poet. Um, I wasn't able to actually find any further information on this form, except under another name, which I can't remember right now, but I'll remember next uh, episode. But at any rate... I'm going to attempt once again to read four lines in Icelandic and then the translation of this poem called In the Mountains or Au Fjolum. Au Fjolum Vindas Vipur Sefur Sjau Var Kindur Vith Ryoth Reitha Mittis Linda Miaukum Wefer Um Miauda Tinda Skauyas Lioda In the mountains. In the mountains, a current of wind is sleeping. Sheep by the sea discuss the weather. A curtain of clouds wraps a soft cummerbund around the middle of the peaks. You've been listening to Miss Lyrics Poetry Outlaws. Stay fierce, word musicians.